Welcome to another edition of Hoops Adjacent. I am David Aldridge in D.C. with my man Waz Lambray out in L.A. Waz, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Can't complain. It's about 85 degrees here in the valley today. I don't even know how I'm managing, Dave. <laughs> why? Why are you even on the show? You should be outside doing something. <laughs> I, I will. I'm gonna. I'm gonna walk to the supermarket. And there you go. <laughs> get a Gatorade or something. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna have uh, Amin Elasan from ESPN on in a few minutes, but uh, want to holler real quick in the open about you know we're past the trade deadline, we're past the buyout season. Really, there's a few guys left out there that might still get bought out, but basically. These are the teams, these are the squads that are going to go go to battle for the rest of the season. And so three teams stood out to me, Waz, um, as you kind of go, is there something we're not seeing that should that might be troubling under the surface? Um, one is the Clippers, and I think with the Clippers, is really more injuries than anything else, and I grant you that. They finally got their, their roster together, um, finally got Paul George and everybody back on the court. They picked up Reggie Reggie Jackson in the CAA deal. You know, they made sure that Paul George's <laughs> agent is the same as Reggie Jackson's agent, so they had to make sure he got his guy out there for the stretch drive. So I'm a, I might put them to the side. That's the truth. <laughs> I might put them to the side and just say maybe it's just injuries with them. But, you know, they, they've kind of been a little up and down. Um, sure. go, but the two other teams that really stick out to me are Utah and the Sixers. Like, for different reasons, obviously – um, but I just am shocked. I'm shocked by Utah. I'm shocked by losing four straight games at home. That's just like, they're lethal at home, Yeah, you know? Yep. And I just, they, apparently they were going to bench Mike Conley. And then they decided that Joe Ingles would come off the bench instead. And they put Rose, Royce O'Neal in the starting lineup. And it's just like something funky going on over there in Salt Lake city. And I can't, I can't put my finger on it right now. We're going to get into the jazz thing with Amin a little bit more in depth, but our buddy Tom Habistro actually posited a, a little bit of a, a theory or a conspiracy theory, and he called it the Joe Dumars theory, where, you know, the league at one point was trying to figure out where all these leaks were coming from, <laughs> and they announced something like a fine, right? Like, they're like, the price of this fine is going to be $37,500, right? thirty seven five hundred, And the only person they sent it to was Joe Dumars. Mm-hmm. Then it linked, like, they sent a bunch of people different prices. Right, right, and right. Joe Dumars's price is the one that leaked. And he thinks the jazz thing was a Joe Dumars operation. They were trying to find out who the leaks were. And they told a bunch of players a different stuff about who was starting and who wasn't and who what was what was not. And then the wrong one got out so that they could know who it is that actually leaked it, which tells you that there's some weird stuff happening within that team right now. If that is true, the fact that you would go to those links tells you that there's something really, really, really weird going on in that locker room right now that they, you know, I don't think can be fixed by, you know, benching a player or start, you know, no, that's, it's that's deeper than that, much deeper than that. Now the Philly thing is fascinating to me. Now, Ben Simmons, look, I I've said this, I think Ben Simmons is the most important player on that team because he's the elite defender on that, in that unit on that squad right now. Um, and I don't care if he never makes yeah, a three as a perimeter guy, like that's exactly, that's the key to unlocking everything in the postseason. Like you got to be able to guard the LeBrons, the Giannis's, the Kawhi's like, that's how you make your hay. Right. So what I'm getting to is if Ben is out for an extended period of time 
I'm assuming that that Embiid's shoulder injury is not like significant because if if he's out as well, well they're done, they're cooked, right? We I think we would agree on that. But if if Embiid is able to play the next three weeks or so without Ben Simmons, you know what's going to happen. They're going to play through Joel. He's going to put up stupid numbers. And what happens when Ben Simmons comes back, Waz? Yeah. It's tricky. It's all it's all so tricky. And, you know, again, it's something like a back, you know, first and foremost, I hope he's okay long term. Like, I don't know what an impingement is. I'm yeah, not a doctor. That doesn't, doesn't sound good, Hashtag, though. I'm not a doctor. No, it doesn't sound good. <laughs> um, And, you know, when you get to be of a certain age, like Ben Simmons is a young man, right? So it's all good. But right. you get to be of a certain age, you hear back and you just wince. You're just like, oh, oh yeah. That can't be good. No. Doc, Doc <laughs> Rivers know. told me a long time ago, backs do not get better. Was. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, you know, that's a scary thing first and foremost. But you know, I, I honestly, Dave, I think it's presumptuous to even, you know, envision a, a scenario where they're just rolling without Ben Simmons. I, I think it's going to go the other way. Well, okay. um, and I just think, you know, I'm somebody who actually picked. Philadelphia to go to the NBA Finals, and I thought they had a 50-50 shot against either the Lakers or the Clippers or whoever came out of the West. Like right. That's how highly I thought of them coming into the season, and to see how snake-bitten their, their whole season has just been, it's just one of those weird years. And I was talking to somebody um, at Staples the other day about the Sixers because they fascinate everybody. Right. Everybody's fascinated by this team. And it was just like, look, um, at a certain point, we're just going to have to accept that they're this year's Boston. Yeah, like if, like yeah. it's just not going to happen. We we kept expecting Boston, like oh no, in the postseason they're gonna do this. Right, right, oh right. no, right, Kyrie right. and blah, blah. Oh no, the young guys, and then it just never happened. Yeah, and they just flamed out in the playoffs. And I, you know, it's getting to a point where this is looking like a just straight up snake bitten season for the Sixers. I'm just it it, it it I continue to be fascinated by human behavior, and that's that's really all we're talking about is. And this is why it's so hard to win championships while in any sport to get 12 or 25 or 53 guys to all pull in the same direction. On the same page. <laughs> it's impossible. It's almost impossible. <laughs> you know, and so you just, you, you, it, to see talent, talented teams like Utah and Philly obviously got some squabbles in the, you know, inside the, the organizations that, that need to be addressed. And you don't want to address them. I can see, I mean, you just, you just almost like put your fingers in your ears and you know, you want, you want it to go away. You know what I'm saying? Like, like somebody is going to have to step up to the plate and say, all right, we got to get rid of X, Y, or Z or X, Y, and Z. You know what I mean? So that's, that's, it, it always is incredible to me to watch talented teams that don't come together. I, I much prefer that too, to good teams that play kind of above their station a little bit, um, because I just it's just human nature. It's not there's no villains here. Like there's no bad guys. I don't think it's yeah. just human nature. Is I want my shine. I want my attention. I want my money, and I want it now. Right. So and and it's always one of those things. Or we got beef about the same girl, which is the same. It's been going on for a million years. <laughs> And, and I, yeah, and and the thing about it too, you know, of course, there's the 
like you just mentioned, the, you know, whose team is it? The, right. Who's most important? Who's getting catered to the most? All of those ancillary things that us as outside observers, both in the media and as fans and all of that stuff, you don't know the the, the workplace dynamics that are happening within a team because you're not there every day. Right. Um, But the stuff that we do know, the on-court stuff, uh, last year they had three, you know, sort of ball-dominant type of, wing guys, right? They mm-hmm. had Jimmy, they had Tobias, and of course they had Ben Simmons. Um, and they swapped out Jimmy for, you know, Josh Richardson, who's a perimeter guy, but nobody would ever call him a ball-dominant type of right. player. And right. Al Horford, yes. right? So it's not like you say, oh, we got rid of Jimmy and we got guys that'll soak up those possessions. Um, that's not the case. Like, right. Ben Simmons was counted upon to initiate offense and set people up. And now that he's not going to be in the lineup, this is going to be a problem. I think, you know, you know, hindsight is, <laughs> I was about to say 50-50. Hindsight <laughs> is always 20-20. <laughs> well, let's up the odds a little bit. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's like a Yogi Berra is Right, 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 um, right. Hindsight is always 20-20, but like it's, it seems obvious now that last year's team was just better. It was better constructed. The pieces fit better. Um, And if you ever want to overload on anything, you always want to overload on wing talent. And that's just not the case this year. And, you know, I'm going to be watching them with a close eye for the rest of this stretch. Yeah. I mean, I... (sighs) I would. I never thought I would say this. I don't know if they get out the first round. Why? I mean, that, oh, I can't man. believe I'm saying that. But you know, yeah. what what leads you to believe else? They can't beat anybody no on the road. They There's can't no beat the Knicks. Have a better road record than they do. They can't beat anybody on the road. You know, and so if they don't have home court and you got to win at least one road game, like why would you think they can do that? Based on what this year? You know, so it's unbelievable. You know, and I'll, I'll I'll cop to it. I mean, I thought they were going to be – I didn't know if they'd be in the finals, but I certainly had them in the conference finals for sure, for sure. Yeah. You know, against Milwaukee, I certainly thought they were going to be there this year and have a rematch with them. Um, it just goes to show you, man, just people, man, people. <laughs> right. People have an amazing capacity to – Screw things up. <laughs> well, to, to 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 play to to do amazing things or to really let you down, you know. <laughs> and it seems like there's never any middle ground with people, man. So, um, anyway, man, we we are going to come right back in a minute with Amina Lasan from ESPN. He's got a, a great backstory, and uh, we're going to talk to him about a lot of things going on in the league and his his own journey. Back in a minute. Let's bring D.A. into the conversation here. The day Kobe gave my respect was the guys were complaining. I said, Shaq, Kobe's not passing the ball. I said, I'll talk to him. I said, Kobe, there's no I in team. And Kobe said, I know, but there's an M.E. in that motherfucker. Like the most in his bracket, though, she, I was transported right back into it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I think I rap better than Shaq. With David, David Aldridge. Oh, he's totally playing. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Michael was not your friend. It was confident. So the Chicago and Detroit stuff, that was real. That was real. I mean, God forbid we don't have scholarship monies and can't pay for the charters for the water polo <laughs> in Iowa. Iowa. Welcome to Hoop 54. We have ignition. Stay middle. Your parents don't pack your lunches anymore, but you still need to eat. 
Have your favorite restaurants brought to you with DoorDash. Brown paper bag not included. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code HOOPS. H-O-O-P-S. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code HOOPS. Don't forget, that's promo code HOOPS for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. And joining us this week from the worldwide leader in sports, our man, Amin el He has the Sirius XM radio show. He's on the jump with my girl, Rachel Nichols. What's up, my man? How are you? Oh, man, I'm, I'm so honored to be here. I, I keep seeing the, the the tweets about the show. And this week on the show, we had so-and-so. We talked about this and this. When am I getting my invite? You got it. Finally got that. Standing I made invite. it. <laughs> <laughs> Standing invite, my man. So, man, so much I want to talk to you about. Um, I, I love your career path because it's just so different from everybody else's. And it, it's almost... And I know you you came to this as more of you know on the on the team side than the reporting side, but it's a lot like a reporter. It seems like your life has been one of observing as much as participating, and that's what that's what most reporters do. That's why we do it because we we either can't participate or choose not to participate in whatever it is we're we're observing. You know what I mean? Like right. it's it's a weird it's a weird life that you live when you're kind of on the outside looking in all the time. But I do wonder, like. Has this, has your background, the way you grew up and the the constant changes that you had as a young man, do you think that allows you to look at basketball with a different set of eyes than maybe people who came up in that traditional path of, I was a player, I was a coach, you know, I was, I was, you know, a video coordinator and I went that path or I was an analytics guy and, and you've kind of carved out your own path to get to a position where, you know, you are one of the gatekeepers of information. You're one of the gatekeepers of how people view the game. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Um, to be honest with you, DA, for me, it's a, a combination of I grew up in an era as far as, you know, my career doing a lot of different things. Yeah. And I feel like when I look around the league, that's less so less so the case. I uh, in terms of the opportunities people get, they usually start off as just one thing and work up their way as their that that's their silo, and then they move on. Um, and then when you look, especially on the media side, the people who were made the transition from team to media, mm-hmm. the, it's it's almost strictly silo, right? If I'm a player, right. I was a player, 18 years or 15 years, whatever it is, as a player. Tracy McGrady can speak to being one of the best players in the world what's that like you know Kendrick Perkins can speak to being an integral role player on championship teams he yeah. can speak to that but as far as that other stuff they really didn't see they don't I mean they, they saw more than the average fan but they there's a lot of stuff they didn't see right mm-hmm. uh same thing when you talk about uh coaches right At, a lot of times we, we have coaches who, who were players and so they can like Byron Scott can talk about, hey, this is what it was like when I was playing versus this is what I was like when, you know, I was coaching. Uh, but again, 
his experience is in those realms. Um, and even a guy like Fizz, who I was on the show with today, Fizz, like me, started as a video coordinator. But Fizz started, when Fizz and those guys, the generation a little older than me, most of those guys were funneled into being coaches. Mm-hmm. You're a video coordinator, right. and then you're an advanced scout, and then you're player development, and then you're assistant coach, and now you're head coach. So it, it's the whole experience. There go that damn dog again, Waz. <laughs> <laughs> it's got Crohn's disease. I learned this last night. Yeah, this has got Crohn's disease. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> my fault. So, um, mm-hmm. So, but anyway, my point being, I was fortunate enough to start in the video room and work hand in hand and close with the coaches on game preparation and game planning and also work with them on the court and player development with, with players. But then I transitioned more on a front office route. So I was doing more scouting stuff, more uh, college, your uh, international, uh, minor league scouting, all that. And then as I moved up in the organization, they let me do a lot of things. I was very fortunate to work for Steve Kerr and David Griffin, two guys who were all about empowerment and and getting me to do things that I probably wasn't ready to do because they were like, one day you're, you're going to be the guy who does this. Um, and so when I made the transition to media, there wasn't anyone like me right. um, in the sense that I had the breadth of experience because everyone else they had was far more experienced than I was, but in a very kind of narrow silo kind of way. You know, we've been having this conversation, not just on the show, but just in the media, just around sports in general about, you know, you think about college football, the lack of blackhead coaches, the NFL, of course, they're talking about tweaking the Rooney Rooney rule. I'm sorry. I'm blanking on who wrote this. Um, Vinny Goodwill. Yes, Vince Goodwill, about how there was 14 black head coaches in the NBA, and now there are only seven. Um, And Amin actually was the first person to point out to me that Masai Ujiri was the only person of his kind, meaning he's a black president GM who's not a former player. There's Mm -hmm. Hinkies, there's Presties, there's all kinds of those guys spread out throughout the league, but Ujiri is the only one of his kind a black guy who, who didn't play, but this was, you know, back in the days. I want you to, to sort of speak to why you think that is because, you know, like you mentioned to me, like you did have to do analytics based stuff for the Suns. Like you've done all of this stuff. And so you, you have the knowledge base of, you know, the quote unquote analytics res- revolution. Cause you were part of that too. Um, I kind of want, want you to speak to what you think is happening with that dynamic there. You know, it, it, it all started with a conversation about, I think it was Mike Wilbon said, uh, like, black people don't do analytics. Like, the right. analytics movement right. is designed <laughs> to exclude black people. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, no, it's preposterous, because you're telling me there's no black people who like sports and like math? Because that's all it is. Like, are you good at math? And do you, do you, are you have an interest, a deep interest in this sport? And so, so I said... It is exclusionary of black people, but not for the reason you think. Not because black people don't like analytics. It's because it gives, um, you know, white owner, predominantly white owners and general managers, an excuse to say, "Oh yeah, we needed this," and basically mm-hmm. not look that way. Because we have, a, unfortunately, in our industry, we have a, a tendency to fill out the black quota, if you will, 
with athletes. Oh, of course, we got plenty of black people. Hey, there's Tracy McGrady, there's Henry Perkins. Like, look at the, the jump. You say, oh, man, that's... Like, uh, you, you can make the criticism that there aren't enough black voices there and that and there are people going to counter. Well, no, no, what are you talking about, Tracy McGrady? Scotty Pippen, Kennedy Perkins. And so well, the message is, if you want to be black and on the jump, you better have a wicked jump shot. You, you, <laughs> yeah. better, you better have played 18 years, right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. if not, then it's me, Mark Spears occasionally, and Michael Wilbon occasionally. That's journalism. That's not just yes. the, the jump. That's but journalism. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Trust me, bro. There ain't too many guys that, that came up with my career path that wind up on TV. That's exactly right, D.A. So, so the idea is that in the sports industry, whether it's journalism or in the front office or whatever, especially in sports that are predominantly black, like football, like basketball, there's a tendency, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, for employers to lean on former players to fill out that diversity. And what, what that ends up doing, it means that you're excluding all the people of color who did not play. Uh, when you look at the, the coaches, first of all, you talk about uh, Wise and Sai, and I think now I think you could throw Scott Perry in there as well. Scott Perry, Kobe Altman, who, you know. Oh, yeah, Kobe Altman, right? But for the, for the longest time, like, the, no, if you were a black president of basketball operations or general manager, 100% you played. Correct. That's true. For a long time. For a very long time. That is true. And that's, and that's something I think for me, going back to my conversation with, with Mike Wilbon about it is I saw that because I knew that I had an analytics background. I worked at it and there was a point where I looked around the league and this is a while. You got a great memory. because This is a long time ago. I looked around the league. And I said, okay, you can tell me this guy and this guy and this guy, these GMs, assistant GMs and some presidents are black and they're, they're in positions of power. I said, where are the people like me? What I meant by that, where's the young black guy who we'll just worked like, through the league? We just worked through the league. There are not that many of them. There are. It's starting to get a little better since we had that conversation. But there was a, a, a time where it was like, no, all the names. And that's why, like, a Rob Hennigan, Ryan McDonough, uh, like, those guys were getting promoted and, and promoted both within the organization structure and also promoted as people saying, right. oh, he's the next best, da, da, da. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. Where are the black ones? Right. Where are the black ones? Even now, if you ask me, like, who's not a GM right now who's going to make a great GM soon? Like, my first name that comes to my mind is Malik Rose. Mm -hmm. and, and Malik is absolutely deserving, and, and I think he'd be awesome at it. But also, Malik played in the league eight not million years. Right. Right? So, so, like, where's the non-player version of Malik Rose? I don't know where that is. You know, you could say Troy Weaver, but Troy Weaver's been an assistant GM and a VP for a while, so he's kind of like, already knocking on that door. Say like a Mark Eversley or somebody like that in Philly. Yeah. You know, there are yeah. guys, Mark, there's plenty of guys. Yeah. You know, but you're right. When did they get the shot? When did somebody yeah. empower them to say, we're going to, it's going to be your vision for this organization, you know? Right. And and then the other flip side of it is what Vinny wrote about, and I know he's talking about coaches, but it's the same applies to front office, is will they get the same kind of rope, the same kind of, runway to get their stuff done and make mistakes and learn yeah. from them and going through them or once they mess up are they out well this has been the, the the issue with with coaches of color for decades you know it's very rare it was always very rare that a black cake coach got a good coach as his first job got a good spot it was always sacramento you know washington you know the the dregs of the league 
And if you didn't turn it around, you were done and you didn't get a second shot. You know, very few guys that weren't great players. And this is part of the issue, too, is that tends to be the great black player that gets the opportunity to be a head coach or a GM. It's never it's never like the marginal NBA guy that was just kind of like, all right, you know, (laughs) that that wind up wound up being a a black head coach. It was you know, there's very few guys like Daryl Walker that got, you know, two shot two shots at, at being an NBA head coach. And Daryl was a good player. He wasn't a great player. You know what I mean? So that just didn't happen. So that's always been the case, whether it's front office coach. It's always been, you, you're going to get a shot. It's probably not going to be a very good one. And if you mess up, you're probably not going to get another shot. Like, I just keep asking people, did Joe Dumars die and nobody told me? Did that just... <laughs> but, but think about, Joe Dumars is a great example, Dick. Because think about Joe Dumars. He built in a small market with a, ma- a reasonable budget a powerhouse that not only contended year in, year out, but also won a championship, right? With no star players. Six straight conference finals. Right? And so he, he he does all of this, right? And and even if you look before that, those conference, you know, that team, it was a competitive team in Detroit that he had built. Uh, they just kicked it up to another notch, obviously, in that, in that year of six right there. But before that, they were, they were pretty good. And so after that era, Admittedly, he messed up on some free agent signings and some trades and stuff. And that's it. Right? It's like, you'll never work in this league again. <laughs> right? Like, I do all of this. That's awesome. Mess up, admittedly, was my fault. And not like mess up anything scandalous, just like regular bad GMing, bad decision making, I should say, for, for, for a short while. And that's it. That's the end of Joe Dumar's career. As as a as a front office guy, it is staggering. It is staggering that like he's had, never got another shot. Do we think it's the league's responsibility to find the black Hinky, the black Daryl Morey, the black Presty? Like, should that be in the NBA's duty? I think they. Uh, I don't know if it's duty, but I think they can assist in that. I'll give you another great example. Uh, the general manager for the Raptors right now is a guy named Bobby Webster. And if you if you read up on Bobby's background, uh, he's again really smart guy. I think he's another guy that is going to make a great head basketball decision maker somewhere in this league. Um, Bobby started working for the league. Mm-hmm. He, he came in through the like their management trainee program, worked for the league, and then basically got poached by Masai uh, and, and went to Toronto. More opportunities for people. The league can do a better job of giving opportunities for people of color in those types of positions. And and Bobby, I guess, qualifies technically as a person of color because he is uh, he's Hawaiian, I think. And, right, right. Uh, and on one side of his family, there's, uh, they're Japanese, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, but more opportunities like that, they can afford. They can, and these are people who are not only going to learn and and be developed, but also going to be put in a position that when teams are looking for people, they're in the circle of the conversation, right? As opposed to being an outsider who's trying to find their way into a, a, like a secret club, basically. You set them up and I'll knock them back, Lloyd, one by one. Before we move on, I want to take a moment to tell you more about the great things going on at The Athletic. The Athletic is home to 400 of the best sports writers out there, like me, like Waz, covering every major team in every major league in the United States, Canada, and the UK. Now, I 
Waz, I happen to love Marcus Thompson. I think he's a great writer, but there's so many. I mean, is it just it's you can go in any direction you want to talk about baseball who's better than Kenny Rosenthal broke the Astros cheating scandal you know what I'm saying like you know there's so many people covering uh college basketball like Dana O'Neill and she's brilliant you know and this uh, people covering hockey you know it's not even my sport but you know you know you know excellence when you read it people covering the NBA obviously um and, and I wanted to mention Marcus Thompson he wrote a great piece this week uh about uh uh relatively unknown uh, young man of color that really has been at the forefront of getting more young people of color into the sports analytics movement. You know, he worked with Lloyd Pierce, who's now the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks. um, And they kind of were on the, on the ground floor of it. Um, But you just get these stories. Like you just don't get these other stories anywhere. You don't get the scoop. You don't get the, the knowledge of the game. You don't get the experience. Certainly. Um, and that's why I think all of us are, are, want to be a part of this thing. You can think this is biased or not, but working within the company, I know for a fact that we're empowered to chase the most significant, most, you know, most well-reported, most fact-based driven stuff possible. It's never something like, oh, let's just do this throwaway thing for clicks. They want everything to be of the highest quality. Nothing's rushed. Nothing is, you know, nothing is flimsy. Everything here is hard-hitting. Everything here is just of a high quality of work, man. Like, I, uh, you know, David actually wrote something about NASCAR and, you know, diversity and inclusion within that sport and the work that they've put in over the years and his experience at the track. And that came out months ago, but it had, re- I, I somehow missed it, but it got re-highlighted because of Black History Month. And I was just like, wow, this is incredible. The amount of people David talked to, you know, just the, the work that he did, it was, it was incredible. And that's just the kind of things you're going to find at the athletic and not to sound too homerific. No, but I'm going to give you, I'm going to, I'm going to put you, you know, out there too, because of your piece on new balance and Kawhi Leonard and oh, how they're trying to change the game. <laughs> no, I mean, but that's, that's Thank what you get. That's what you get when you read the athletic. Simply put, we have the best sports newsroom on the planet, but you don't have to take my word for it. You can see for yourself by signing up for a free trial, head to, theathletic.com slash hoops adjacent. That's theathletic.com slash hoops, H-O-O-P-S, adjacent, A-D-J-A-C-E-N-T, to save 40% on an annual subscription. That works out to $3 a month for total access to some of the best sports coverage in the world. What are you waiting for? That's theathletic.com slash hoops adjacent to save 40%. And read people like Waz Lambray every week. Now he's got me. I'll have to look at another crime meme for the next. I told my wife I wasn't going to do this because I didn't want to see that for the next three or four years. So, I mean, I want to pick your brain about... um, your experiences in Phoenix, because I'm fascinated by the Suns at that time. They were really kind of on the edge. They were the cutting edge of, like, they didn't shoot the threes like they shoot them now, but they shot them more than most people, right, and, at that time. And then they decide they're going to go all in on Shaq, and the thing just fell apart. And it just fascinates me how that franchise at that time really seemed to be caught. And Dan Tony has mentioned this, that, he really chickened out like he wanted to go all in on it and just shoot a bunch of threes like they do now in Houston. 
and he chickened out because he got convinced that you had still had to have a big man. You still had to throw the big man the ball. I just wonder what that dynamic was like in those days when you have that kind of push and pull between being successful playing one way, but thinking still thinking you have to play a different way to actually win a championship. Well, D, I would say there's a bunch of stuff that's contextual. Uh, first of all, it's funny you mentioned that. Like, that team, that seven seconds or less team, felt like they were running all the time and they're blowing the doors off of everything. And when you look at it now, if they that team with that pace would be the slowest team in the NBA today. <laughs> yeah, right. Right? That team with, with that many threes, they shot so many threes, that would be like in the bottom five of three-point three attempts in the NBA today. Um, so it, 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 it's, the context is always funny there, right? Where, where you, it's always about where the pack is, right? If you're ahead of the pack, no one ever says, well, what if you were in this different pack? Right. When it comes to the Shaq deal, I think it's a lot more complicated and complex um, than just, hey, we, we, you know, we need a big guy. Uh, one was San Antonio was our huge thorn in the side, right? We play against anybody in the league, and we were confident, right? right? Um, right. But the Spurs just had our number because they were more disciplined, they were more flexible, and we didn't have an answer for Tim Duncan. And so that was something that was weighing on us, right? We can kick all these teams' asses, but when it comes to the big bully on the block, the one that we really – we knew the championship ran through them. And if we couldn't beat them, then that wasn't – you know, and none none of that other success mattered. And the closest we came was probably 2007. And some would argue that we should have beat them in 2007 if the late David Stern right. just, you know, <laughs> did the right thing. Right, right, right. Um, so there's that part of the thought process and the decision-making. Like, we need an answer for, for Duncan. Um, the other part of it is, and, and this is a very strong thing, Sean Marion was not happy with his contract. His agent, the late Dan Fagan, <laughs> oh, was not God. happy with his contract. And they were making demands. and. Yeah. There was an element of people were just fatigued. They were fatigued about hearing complaints about how Sean is underappreciated <laughs> when he was the highest paid player on the team. Oh, um, it's so funny you mentioned that. It's so funny. And he's the one I guy. Mean, let me just, I just want to tell you, this is, he's the one guy I used to, I actually went up to him and I never did this with anybody else, with, I mean, but I did it with him because I went up to him after a game and I said, Sean, they pay you $18 million a year just to run the floor and spot up and dunk. You're playing with the best point guard in the world who passes you the ball all the time. You they you don't have to play that much defense. You win 60 games a year. What the hell are you mad about? <laughs> you know, that's true. That's, 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 DA, you just basically said on you. Right. What are you mad about? <laughs> you live in heaven. There's an argument that you could make for Sean, absolutely, that maybe he felt underappreciated given his importance defensively to our team right? for his versatility ability. We put him on everything from Tony Parker to Yami. Yeah. Right. And so this is a dude who was special in a way that I don't think the analytics of the time captured. Yeah. At the same time, you can be right and also wear me down. Right. Like Chris Paul. Think about Chris Paul. Right. Chris Paul, a lot of times he's, he wears on his teammates. The stuff he's saying ain't wrong. When he's yelling at DeAndre Jordan, get, get the ball back up. We have time on the clock, right? He's not wrong, but sometimes you just don't want to hear it anymore. And so there was a fatigue with and, – and, and I, I don't want to put it on Sean because a lot of it is Dan Fagan. And if you remember the late Dan Fagan, 
he was very effective as an agent because he was annoying as hell. Dan, right? Was, I Dan, say that with no, all the respect. I believe the world, it, right? Dan was Dan was a very effective agent, very effective, <laughs> right? <laughs> and he did it by being an ultimatums and and very aggressive. That was his style, and so it was a combination of. People were just kind of tired of the complaining, and front office was tired of, of Fagan having all these ultimatums and promising, if you try to do this, you try to do that, we'll do, like, all these kind of retaliations and, and rebuttals if we didn't basically concede to sending or to either paying Sean a, a, a full max extension two years ahead of when his deal would be up. Um, and then on, the, on top of that, we also had uh, Marcus Banks, whose contract was onerous as well. It wasn't a good fit, but he had a five-year deal and he was paid. I mean, it was we had a, he had a full mid-level at five years. It was just one of those things where wow, this is not this is financially hamstringing a luxury tax team right. that uh, that you has have an to owner. Keep, you have to keep the player exactly yeah, right. Yeah. So it was an, a, a, a scenario where it actually started at the ownership level, where Mickey Harrison and Robert, I can't remember where they were, Robert Sarber. They were, and they had a conversation. I was like, oh, man, Shaq's wearing us out in Miami. And Robert's like, well, you know, we have kind of – and it's like, well, can we switch problems? Right. <laughs> and so we start going through the process of like, okay, what does it mean? So, uh, like, we ran through – I did the analytics workup on it. Um, the medical people – because remember, Shaq was hurt. Sure. And so then, like, Aaron Nelson and, and, the, and the training staff mafia, they watched the film and said, oh, he's fine. He's fine. This is what's happening. His such and such isn't firing because this muscle right here is probably underdeveloped. Da, da, da. So give him, give us, give us, give us, give him us for two or give us him for two weeks, mm -hmm. and what, he'll be playing. He'll be fine. And so, and then we did the trade. Uh, the physicals came back clean enough. It, sure enough, ten days later, he was on the floor. We ended that year uh, fourteen. And four, something like that. It like it was working because Shaq fixed all our problems. As far as we were one of the worst defense rebound teams, we became the number one rebounding team. Uh, our rim protection got better, um, and then offensively, because at this time, remember, Shaq thought his career was going to be done. So he's like, "I just want to set screens, and I want to be Bill Russell for you guys, right. and I want Amari to be the best big man in the league, and I want you know, say, you know, Steve Nash is going to make my life so easy. All I got to do is catch a couple of spin lobs and da da da." So it worked. We go to the playoffs. Of all the matchups we get, we get San Antonio in the first round, right? <laughs> and so, and game one was the double overtime or whatever, where Tim Duncan hits a three. He's the first three he attempted all year long. He hits it, and, and it was just like one of those backbreakers. Like, if you look, we lost in five games. Three of those games were one, or one possession games. We blew them out once. They blew us out once. So it, it would just... I don't think we were – if we had gotten a little steam under our, ourselves, I think we could have gotten to a place where we, we might have beaten them. But in the first round, that was just way too soon. And, and the other thing that happened was this. We went from being decent on a perimeter defensive, like switching and you know having Sean guard Tony Parker and guard and switching stuff to uh, – and bad in the paint to being good at paint and rim protection. And now Tim Duncan's a pick-and-pop big. And now all they run is pick and roll and, and all this DHO stuff up top because Shaq doesn't like to leave the paint. Shaq sags. And so Tony Parker will come off and that little teardrop floater that he, he was so famous for, he did that over and over and over. And, and Manu coming off of screens. 
and we were screwed, basically. They just basically exploited the new weakness we had and went away from the weakness that we had, we had uh, saw. Um, in a perfect world, we would have kept the team that we had. And, and, and you know, actually, in a perfect world, Sean Marion gets traded in the summer of 2007 to, uh, to Boston. And we For get Kevin, Kevin Garnett. And we get Kevin Garnett. That, that's what the deal was supposed to be. It was supposed to be Sean and Boston. Boston sends all their young guys to Minnesota. Minnesota sends us KG. Right. And now instead of Shaq, we got KG, who is more mobile, uh, more vocal defensively, uh, better team defender, and offensively can step out, pick and pop, can pick and roll, can do all, you interchange everything, and is a great passer. Um, it's a different world if we get Kevin Garnett. Uh, it's a world probably where we win at least one championship, if not more. But it, it wasn't meant to be because Sean wanted a certain kind of, or I should say Dan Fagan wanted a certain kind of contract for Sean, and, and, and it wasn't, you know, Danny Ainge basically said, I'm not going to do that. And he said, if you don't do that, then Sean's going to exercise his ETO, and he's going to walk. And Danny Ainge said, well, if he's going to walk after a year, I'm not going to do this deal or I'm sending all my, my great young talent. And that's how the deal fell apart. And when, Thanks for nothing, Sean Marion. I don't blame Sean. Like Sean was trying to do what was best for Sean Marion. Um, I don't blame him, except for the fact that, you know, I think his agent overvalued what his free agent mar market would be like by the time he hit the market. Because again, it doesn't matter how good Sean actually was; it only matters what the market saw him as, and the market saw him as a player that was very heavily reliant on an elite point guard to set him up. Because remember, Sean Marion went from playing with Jason Kidd to playing with Stephon Marbury to playing with Steve Nash. Right. <laughs> like, it's like, and it was just, he, he lived a good life in terms of people <laughs> finding him. So, I mean, we want to move on to what's happening in the league this season. If my memory serves me correctly, you were quite bullish on Utah coming out of the offseason. Denver, Denver. Oh, you were a Denver guy. I was a Denver guy, yeah. I was bullish on Utah, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I definitely was. I, I, but I was bullish on both. I thought they would finish top two in the West because I just assumed LeBron would do his cool guy act and yeah, the Lakers yeah. would coast this season. And, you know, the Clippers with the load management and Paul George's own injury history, I was like, those guys aren't going to finish at the top of the conference. And, you know, Denver had all this continuity coming in and you – assume their young guys would be taking jumps and you know i just thought they were gonna steamroll people this season and that just hasn't been the case but from what you've seen from utah what it like is it just us uh, uh quinn snyder's playbook is too thick and it's hard to acclimate all these new pieces is something else going on there as far as recently there, there's something else going on and that that's something else is they're not defending mm -hmm. right now on the season i believe they're 14th, 15th in defense. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. In the last 15 games, they are bottom five in the league in defense. Now, if I if I hopped out of the DeLorean with Doc Brown, and I, said, I just came from the future, guys. The Jazz <laughs> are bottom five defense. No chance. Well, what would you, I'm telling you, I just came. Rudy Gobert suffered some type of catastrophic injury. Exactly. Next Saturday night, we're sending you back to the future. Some crazy injury. Half the right. team got suspended <laughs> for, you know, like in a Palace of Auburn Hills type of situation. You, there was no way you could convince me that everyone's healthy, everyone's here. They're just right. one of the worst defensive teams in the league over the last 15 games. But that's what's happened. And 
I don't know if that's some of that is thrill of finally being an all star mm -hmm. for Rudy Gobert. Where now he's like, I used to carry pianos, now I play them. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I know that the, all the personnel that were responsible for a top five perennial defense, they're still in that locker room. Yeah. For the most part, they're healthy. The coaches are all there. So they need to have a kumbaya moment and figure out storing that up. Because if you're the Utah Jazz, you can go through a rough stretch because, man, we haven't been hitting shots. You can go through a rough stretch because, man, we keep turning the ball over. You can go through a rough stretch for a lot of reasons. But the one thing you can't do is you can't go through a rough stretch because your core competency, the whole basis of your identity, <laughs> yeah. isn't, isn't good yeah. anymore. It doesn't work, yeah. right? In the same way that Tobias Harris last night um, for the Sixers shot less times than Shake Milton did, <sighs> even though Embiid got injured seven minutes into the game. Right. And my thing is, like, Tobias Harris, you can have an awful game because you didn't hit any shots. You can have an awful game because you're in foul trouble, because you got beat defensively, because you didn't help out on the boards at all. For 200 all, mil, you got to right. shoot, man. You, I'm sorry. That's, right. that's what you do. That's who right. you are. Right. That is your entire identity. Like, all the other stuff is like, dude, even, you know, you don't go to McDonald's for, you know, for... Uh, for the fish filet? I, I, I certainly do. <laughs> for pizza. Like, you don't go to McDonald's for pizza. Like, hey, where's the pizza? There's no pizza in this right. McDonald's. Yeah, we don't yep. really do that. You say, hey, can I have a burger? Like, oh, we don't have burgers. Say, Wait, what? You're McDonald's. That's right. what you are known for. And and for him, that's a big that's a big thing. And for the Utah Jazz, that's a big thing because they're not messing up because of other things they need to get better at. Right. They're right. messing up because of the thing that they're supposed to be elite at. Yeah, they've gone from first in adjusted defense rating to 11th. That's just a that's a crazy drop. And like you, the 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 default position would always be what's well, got to be Conley. Well, Conley's been hurt most of the year. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, it's can't you can't pin it all on him. You can put some of it on him, I'm sure, but you can't put it all on him. You know what I mean? So you're right. It's the guys that were playing great defense the last three years, you know, like where, where, what happened? Where, where did and it the, go? And the crazy thing is to me, DA, is that Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, they have reputations as being A1, A-plus locker room character kinds of guys. And many of the guys on their team, honestly, Rudy Gobert is a bit of a crybaby, a whiny kind of guy and that's his <laughs> reputation and who knows what's going on there with that but I and you know from the outside looking in it seems like they kind of have too many guys or at least the guys that they have feel like they have too many guys and you know whatever that is it's infecting what's happening in there but I, I just can't understand how Rudy Colbert could go from defensive player of the year you know for two years running to I'm anchoring one of the worst defenses in the league um Maybe the All Star got to his head, man. I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know if it was an All Star, but I, that, you know that paycheck. You know, that, don't ever get that twisted. Now, <laughs> <laughs> guys, always always keep a score one way or the other. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 the problem is with a guy like Rudy Gobert. We know his his personality. <laughs> If it were Clay Thompson, for instance, I would have yes. no chance. Right. No right. chance. I, I joked about it the other day when someone, or last year when someone said Clay Thompson didn't make All-NBA, so he missed out on a bonus of X amount of million dollars. And and I said, you think Clay Thompson found out about that, like, the day that they said it to him? Like, <laughs> hey, by the way, you missed out. Oh, really? Oh, man. Like, Clay's in his own world. He just doesn't, 
like those things aren't as important to him. Mm -hmm. Whereas Rudy, he's made it clear these things are important to him. Right. Right. So uh, I, I guess maybe that's the question we need to ask: Is defense still important to him? Because again, at the end of the day, Waz brings up a great point. This Utah Jazz defense suffers, and you're playing. Yeah, it's gonna be your fault, right? One way or another. Right. It, it can't be that bad, and you had nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, you're the you're the guy, right? I mean, you're the defensive yep. player of the year, so it's gonna come on you. Um, so, real quick, just want to get your 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 sense of how this thing is shaping up, especially out west, because I know you're out there a lot. As we start to go to the stretch run of the regular season, I mean, I, I think both the LA teams are. are pretty much, I wouldn't say head and shoulders above the other teams because Denver's right there, but I think in a seven-game series, I'd still favor either of those teams. But who after those two? Is it Denver or is there somebody else that you think can really kind of... And don't say Houston, I mean. <laughs> I'll say this about Houston. Mark Cuban was on SiriusXM this week, and he was talking about the concept of arbitrage, right? The idea that if you know something or if you know something the market doesn't know, it doesn't necessarily mean you're great. It's just you're right. ahead of the game by that much until the market catches up. It's like, so a great example of this is uh, a Big Mac meal in Phoenix, Arizona is like five ninety nine. A Big Mac meal in London mm-hmm. costs like $13 and when you do the, the conversion. So if there are a way to have fresh Big Mac meals made in Phoenix and then delivered to London, you're making basically an $8 profit right there just because you know something. Like, mm-hmm. I know where to get the cheap Big Macs, right? Or if you're thinking about cars, same thing. I know where to get the cheap cars and sell them here for a, a premium. I know uh, Levi's jeans in Europe <laughs> are a big deal, right? Like, oh, $150 for these jeans that we paid $29.99 for, right? So people will buy a, a shit ton mm-hmm. of Levi's jeans here, and then they'll go travel to Europe, and then they'll sell them uh, kind of there and, and, and make – uh, a profit based on the arbitrage, right? The arbitrage that the Rockets are dealing with right now is like all y'all play with a center, even perimeter-based teams. You guys are all playing with a center out there. We don't. And so while you're messing around trying to figure out where your center matches up, whatever, mm-hmm. we're doing this small ball thing all the time, and we're taking advantage of that. The problem is when you get to the playoffs, and uh, I'm not having the game plan like a night before, basically, because right. the right. next night I have Milwaukee and the next night I have, when, when I can just sit down and say, I'm playing you and just you and we ain't got no back-to-backs and whatever travel I got to do, you got to do the same travel. I think then you'll see more customized defenses and that that will shorten what Houston's able to do. Having said that, I think the Lakers are a team that is vulnerable to mm. teams that play small. It's the reason why the Rockets beat them the way they beat them. It's the reason why the Celtics beat them the way they did beat them on MLK Day. It's the reason why the Celtics almost beat them without Kimball Walker the other day. It's the reason why they lost to the Clippers twice. It's the reason why they lost to the Raptors. It's the reason why they struggled against the Miami Heat, even though they won that game down in Miami. It's because any team, and it's the reason why they got smacked by the Bucks. All these teams have one thing in common. On offense, we're going to play. There's nobody in the paint. Everybody's out. Mm. And so JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard, these guys, they're going to have to come out and guard somebody. But at the other end, they struggle to take advantage of those matchups yeah, against right. good small ball teams, right? So I think Houston, you have to give them that much in that, look, it might be just a style that even when you get the game plan for it, they're just not good enough to beat uh, or, or, or tough enough or, or deep enough or whatever. Um, Denver, obviously, 
I picked them before the year. <laughs> I feel like I have to stick to it now. <laughs> the, the dividends that I thought would be paying off did not pay off. Uh, but, you know, Jokic is really good, and they're, and they're another deep team. Like they, they may not have, like, an elite, elite player, but they have a lot of good players, and that, that, I think that's meaningful when you get deeper into the playoffs. And then, uh, yeah, I think those are the only teams. Yeah. I think it's, you're talking about Clippers, Lakers. Jazz, and, uh, not Jazz, uh, Nuggets and uh, and Rockets. Those are your teams. I mean, Dallas, yeah. I just think they're young. You yeah, know. they're too young. And, 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 you know, the, the Oklahoma City, I think they're plucky, but it's just not enough of an elite elite talent to overcome uh, some of the other teams and also not not great depth. So, yeah, I think those four teams are, are what we're looking at in the West. I think the crazy thing about Houston, watching them recently, and I tweeted this yesterday as I was watching the game, they play, they're playing really physical on defense now like and they're playing way harder now like something clicked when they when they went all in desperation yeah there's a desperation of knowing we don't have we there's no safety net yeah right right. they're walking the tightrope with no safety net so gotta be locked in or or it's it's death yeah as i've said uh, i've said this before on the show with houston it's if they lose i don't think it's not gonna be because they play small that's what i'm saying it's gonna be on some random you know Elbow to the head, somebody falls on PJ Tucker, you know, and gives him a concussion. Something, you know, it's not going to be because of the style of play. The style of play is irrelevant. No, it's just going to be hard and missing a bunch of step backs again for the fifth year in a row. That's just, it's just what it's going to be. Hard step back three off the side of the backboard. Man, who was. Who was Golden State center in the death lineup? It was six, five and a half Draymond Green. So please stop telling me this has never been done before. You know what I mean? So Well, the, the, the lack of the safety net, I think, is the part where there's never been done before. They like don't even the have a guy to go through. They don't even like have a guy to go through in case of emergency. Tyson yeah. <laughs> Chandler is that guy, and he's like 800 years old. So. <laughs> I mean, my man, it is, it's always good to have you on. Um, we will definitely have you on uh, multiple times in the future. Thank you for joining us. Uh, love your insights. Love your story. Um, I think it, it's great for young people to see that there's another way. There's a different path. Uh, you don't have to be seven feet tall to know you, what to know about basketball. You know, and you don't have to be an all-American to know about basketball. And that's that's important. And you 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 have a very important role uh, in the sports landscape. And I, uh, I hope you understand that we appreciate it and other people appreciate it as well. Thank you so much, Jay. All right, later. Me. Thanks, Waz. Man, appreciate it, dude. So that's, uh, that's a wrap for us this week. Uh, hope you, uh, plan on subscribing. If you haven't already go to Apple podcasts and subscribe to our podcast. We would love to hear a review. We want to hear the positive reviews, of course. Leave a five-star review. If you leave anything else less than five, keep it to yourself. See you next time.